For those of you who were here on Friday night, thanks for coming out again. Uh, I told my wife, I don't know if anyone will be at church because we had a packed house Friday night, and I was like, it, people don't usually go to church twice in one week. So, um, But for those of you who weren't able to be here, we had 11 baptisms. And hey, I rented the thing for the whole week, so we might as well get use out of it. So if you've never been baptized and you're thinking about it, at the end of service today, I'll invite you up to be baptized. No pressure, but as long as I already paid for it, might as well use it. That's what I say. Um, but seriously, if you're thinking about baptize, being baptized, you've never done it, and you're like, ah, I didn't even bring extra clothes. So what? It, you're going to get a little wet. It's, just think of it as a super rainy day, and you've got to go from your office to your car. But seriously, we're going to do this today. If, if you've never been baptized and you want to think about it, you've got about 25 minutes until till we're going to do this thing. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. I need to do this disclaimer. I wrote literally do your disclaimer on my notes in red. That's how important it is. I never put things in red, but this I did. Okay. If you learned a different numbering system for the Ten Commandments, it's okay. I want to start there. There are over a dozen different ways they number the commandments just in the Christian and Jewish traditions, not including how they do it in the Islamic tradition, which many of you didn't, may not know, but they take portions of the Old Testament and the Quran, okay? The numbering system isn't what's critical. You know what's critical? The words that God spoke to us, okay? But I will have people come to me on other things and say, you know, you're, you don't understand that right. I heard the interpretation, and I always want, there are times when I've wished I've had my Hebrew or my Greek Bible and just hand it to them and say, you don't want interpretations of somebody else? Here, read it. But you can't tell me what it means or I'd be taking your interpretation. Because literally, as soon as you read it, you've had a lifetime of experiences to understand those words differently than what the person who wrote them five to 7,000 years ago was intending for that community at that time. It makes it no less God's word to us, but you have to understand just because something doesn't align with how you heard it once doesn't make it false, okay? As long as it doesn't contradict something else in the scripture, we're okay, we're on the same page. So let me just start with that. So we follow the Septuagint, which um, is the traditional Orthodox view in Christianity of the Ten Commandments, okay? So all that to say, I look and I say, this is who we are as a tradition. And as following that tradition, this is what, how we number the system. If you have a different numbering system and you're saying, you're lumping those together incorrectly, just take it as one straight scripture and remember we're the ones who numbered them, not Moses, not God. So that's all on us anyway. All right, so now that my disclaimer's out there, let's talk about what God had to say. Remember, no numbers when it was written, all right? And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth beneath or is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. All right. As always, I want to talk about what the text says. And then I want to correct a few things where I think people, especially the part about the jealous God and generational sins, that I think people misunderstand or misappropriated. So first off, you have to understand this is written to a group of people whose ancestors had spent the previous 400 years in slavery. And so knowing that that's who this is originally written to, it helps us to realize he's looking and saying, you were created for a purpose far greater than that, and that purpose was to worship me. The whole reason Moses originally says, you got to let my people go, is not, hey, you've had them slaves long enough. His whole initial reasoning is, you've got to let us go and worship, and then we'll come back. Because he asks for three days to go worship God. He doesn't walk into Pharaoh and says, release us now. He says, let us go worship. The reason you were created and the reason you have been released from the bondage and slavery of sin is to worship. And we have all these other ideas. That doesn't mean that's your ultimate purpose at the end of the plan God has for your life. But the reason you were created was to worship God and to do so of your own free will. It tells us in the scripture that the angels... And the spiritual beings worship him all day long, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it says as soon as they stop and they stand before him and they're in his presence, they fall right back down on their face and they begin to do it again. But he created a being with free will because he wanted somebody to choose to worship him, not somebody that he had created that worships him. He wants you of your own volition to choose to worship him and then to change from what your life was to what he imagines it to be, who he created you to be. And he looks at you and he goes, you were created for so much more than you could ever imagine. But we get stuck in these things and we believe, oh, this is all I can be. This is all I can do. This is how my lot in life is cast. I grew up poor, so I can't acquire more. I grew up um, uneducated, so I can't do more. I grew up in this family dynamic or this situation, or this is my personality, so this is all I can be. And he looks and he says, you were created for so much more than you can imagine. And just because the world is hard and broken and you felt trapped doesn't mean that's where you're at. And I'm not saying that, well, if you just, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's, that's not it either. He's looking and saying, I love you just as you are. I just want so much more for you than you can imagine. Those of us who are parents might look at our children and think, I want more for you than you could ever want for yourself. I've told my daughter that many times when she wanted to quit college, many times when she wanted to give up, many times when she was angry at us that we were making her do stuff. I would look and i say, I want more for you than you can even imagine for yourself. And that's why you can't quit. That's why you have to go on. You have to press forward. You can do this. I don't lie to her and tell her it's easier, it's always going to be roses or everybody's going to like you. But I speak the reality is that I want more for you. So imagine how much more God wants for each of us than we could ever comprehend. So verse um, 2 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Understand the people were coming out of 
the Egyptian culture. Egypt had multiple gods, the highest of which was Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a direct descendant of the sun. Yes, the one in the sky, if you read in their mythology. And when you come from the sun, you know you're in charge. So they were Pharaohs, the line of them, believed they were direct descendants from the sun, born out of literally a sunbeam hitting the earth. And you go, well, that's ridiculous. But how many people in the world? I just read recently, 1.3% of Scandinavians still follow Norse mythology. Not just believe like, oh, this was a great thing that we once believed. They actually follow the traditions of Norse mythology. 1.3% of the people in a developed Western world. It's not hard to fool people, you guys. Do you know how many people went with Jim Jones when he went to South America? Thousands. Thousands of people went with him. And he was telling them, one of his last statements was, you're spending too much time listening to this and not enough time listening to the prophet. So in other words, forget what God said, listen to what I'm saying. And people bought it. We look and we go, oh, they're so silly. They believed in all these false gods. But how many things do people on our left and our right genuinely believe? You know how many people believe that the earth is flat? At one point in history, people were executed for saying the earth was round. And eventually we may get back to that point, and I weep for our children. (laughs) But almost 14% of people in the Western modernized world now believe the earth is actually flat. 14%! I'm like, that cannot be one out of ten. I know a lot of people. That means I know a lot of people that are idiots. People in here right now going, what do you mean the earth's not flat? I'll lose four families this week. (laughs) So they believed, and they came from a culture with multiple gods. And there was no religious freedom. You could worship any of their gods as long as you worshiped Pharaoh and their other approved gods. But you couldn't go outside of their realm. And so this is the message being sent to them. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. How many times in our life have we put other things before God? How many times in our life has God been something in our life, but not first and foremost in our life? And yet, we wouldn't worship something else. But do we really have God first? Second thing is, he says, don't create your own gods. Kind of the second commandment there. He's telling you, because he's already spoken to Moses, and he says, I am. Who are you? And he says, I am. And he's telling them, I am is enough. The God who calls himself I am is enough. He mentions, you know, birds, things in the sea, things on land. Animals and planetary objects were common objects of worship in the era. The gods that they created almost always looked like things that they would see every day. And it shows you the lack of imagination that people have even in how they worship. Because the things that they were creating were things that they could see anywhere. So we worship this god that looks like a fish. We worship the sun god, who was the direct 
line to our Pharaoh. We worship this God and that God. And they would worship this God when they needed a good harvest and that God when they needed provision and this God when they needed something else. And God looks and he says, stop trying to worship things that I've created because you're distorting my creation. And we do the same thing when we don't see the value in people that God created because they look different than us. Or they're a different socioeconomic sphere. Or they're a different whatever, and we don't see the value they have. They have a different political point of view or a different, dare I say it, favorite football team. And so we can no longer even worship with them or fellowship with them or have them in our life because they're different than us. And God is looking and saying, it's almost the opposite side of the same coin. He's looking and saying, stop worshiping and stop condemning the things I've made. Understand, they're not gods. But the people that I've created are not the enemy either. And so he's looking and saying, see me, and once you see me, then you'll understand that humans were made in my image, not to be worshipped, but to be loved. Then you go on to read, and it talks about a jealous God. First off, he's not a jealous God because he's worried that, oh no, you're going to like somebody more. He's a jealous God because his love for you is so deep, he doesn't want to see you go astray. He doesn't want to see you lied to. He doesn't want to see you deceived. And you may say, well, I'm not even sure I believe in God, or isn't really all religion just pointing us to the same thing? And I'm here to say, this is exactly where he's saying no. If you've ever wondered, where does God say, no, this is it. I'm a jealous God. But he's jealous because of his deep and abiding love for you. And he doesn't want you deceived. And he doesn't want you lost. Generational sins are not threats, but they're outcomes from our parents' sin to us and from our lack of repentance of our sins. I've heard people say when somebody got divorced, well, that's a generational sin in their family. I'm like, oh, you know how you break generational sins? You don't get the divorce. Or, you know, their, their father was an alcoholic, so they're an alcoholic. You know how you break that? Don't be an alcoholic. Don't drink. Stop. And I'm not saying it's easy. Addiction is always difficult, and I'm not trying to downplay that. But what I'm saying is we break generational sins when we choose to stop repeating the sins that we've seen. And it tells us this. In the scripture, generational sins are broken when people love me and keep my commandments. You want to help break generational sins that maybe have been going on in your family for year after year. and You look and it was your great-grandparents, your grandparents, your parents. As far back as you know and remember, these same things have been going on and you don't want to see them in your children. Love God. Keep his commandments. I've heard many times people say, well, I can do this because I'm free in Christ or I have the right. And I always say, first off, we have no rights. We give up our rights when we're in Jesus. But second off, if it doesn't bring life, why do we got to play with it? People have told me, and again, I've always said, anyone can come here, I'll love you, I'll accept, I'll be your best friend if you just go out to breakfast with me a few times. But people will say, I can do this because now this is legal. So let's just take, let's just take the hot button issue right now in our state, which is probably, it, it's interesting because it's against the laws of the federal government, but legal in our state, and that's marijuana. Can people, can Christians smoke marijuana? I don't know, can they? 
You know, used to be, can Christians drink? And I, I came to the place where I have no problems with Christians having alcohol as long as you don't drink to excess. But at what point are we taking marijuana? But I'm not doing it to excess, but there's only one purpose of it, and that is to alter our mind. So do I criticize? No, if that's what you have to do to get through the day, God bless you, I love you, let's hang out. But if this is purely a recreational thing for you, how does that bring life to you and to your family? Now, I know there's people in here right now who are probably angry at me. I love you anyway. Let's be friends. But anything in our life that we do that doesn't bring us closer to who God is, we have to ask, is this really uplifting me? There's been TV shows that I've stopped watching, just on regular TV. I don't have like premium cable or whatever. Because there's a hundred people who can watch it and it doesn't do anything. But something in my spirit, it just doesn't sit right. I listen to a lot of music. I love music. And I have shocked people when they find out that it's not 24-7 worship all the time. If you look at my Spotify playlist, it's everything from 80s rap to modern day alternative. Heavy on the Johnny Cash, heavy on the Bob Dylan in my play rotation. But I listen to a wide variety of stuff. I expose my son to a wide variety of music because he loves to play things. And I will hear a song and go, oh, learn this song. It'll go great if you ever like, are playing a coffee shop set. You know, if you're ever sitting down doing that kind of thing, if you're ever around a campfire, this is a good group sing-along. Most of the people will know it. But there's other people who all they listen to is worship music because otherwise something in their spirit just doesn't sit right. I listen to worship music quite often, especially when I'm driving and praying. On rainy days, if you see me randomly just driving up and down your street, know that I'm not stalking you. I just drive neighborhoods and I just start praying for whoever's in those houses. I just start praying as I'm going by, going, God, I know that these people, there's something going on in their life. I don't know if they're believers or not believers but I'm going to pray that they have an encounter with you today, this week, this month, that they see you and know you. And then I almost always listen to worship music when I'm doing that. But when I'm just driving from my house to the gym, I'm listening to something that's going to get me excited to work out. Usually late 70s Bob Dylan. That's okay for me, but it may not be for you. But here's the thing. I'm not condemning you if it's not okay for you. I'm just asking you not to condemn me if it's not okay for you. By the same token, I have a friend who does not, who, who makes sure every week he has a day where he fasts. It's usually Wednesday, but every week for years he has fasted. I fast two or three times a year. He doesn't criticize me because I don't fast enough. He doesn't even brag about the fact that he does. But I'm always careful not to say, hey, let's go eat lunch on Wednesday. You know what? He's come to this place where he needs to do that for his spiritual development. I'm pro-fasting. I talked about it at the beginning of this year in our spiritual discipline series. And yet, mine is different than his. And how can we both be followers of God? I have another friend that's a pastor. He and I had a few political discussions last fall and we came to very different conclusions about who we were going to vote for. And yet he loves Jesus, and I love Jesus, 
and I'm okay that he voted different than me. In fact, I sent him a text this morning and just told him, I'm praying for you today, and I hope your services go well. And he just responded with, show him Jesus. That's what he responded with. Generational sins are broken when we choose to love God and behave differently. That's how generational sins are broken. We love God and we behave differently. Any sin you've committed in your life does not have to be passed on to your children when we choose to love God and break it. You know how you break the pattern of domestic violence? You learn, you grow, you stop, you change. Doesn't mean it happens like that. It takes time and separation and putting up boundaries and staying within those boundaries. You know how you break the addiction to porn? You stop, you change, you get in a support group, and you move forward. Whatever sin you want to go, we can, I can name this for every, gossiping. You know how you stop gossiping? You choose to live a different life, you stay out of the situations where you're tempted to gossip, and you stop doing it even under the guise of prayer requests for other people that aren't there, and you change it. Whatever it is, we can break these generational sins. The last portion of what I read says, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands. To those who love me is a foreshadowing of the plan to come. God was not lost when man sinned. From the very beginning, he knew that by creating people with free will, they had the free will to follow him or to reject him, and he had a plan in place for their redemption. From the very beginning, if you read the very beginning of the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God speaks to someone when he's creating. If there's nobody else there, why is he speaking? It's our first glimpse of understanding the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus as his son. Because otherwise, he wouldn't have spoken. He would have snapped his fingers and everything would have come into existence. But he says he looks and God says, it is good. From the very beginning, he knew you were going to sin, and he had a plan for your redemption. To those who keep my commandments, it's not just an empty path promise, but it's a path to mercy. When your children are obeying you, there's no need for discipline. If you ask your kids to go clean their room, they go clean their room, they come back, Usually we're so shocked we reward them. <laughs> wow, you did it. You don't need to discipline. This passage is not about God's discipline. Because that portion right there, before he goes into the next portion, he ends it with showing mercy to those who love me and keep my commandments. Those who love me and keep my commandments, he doesn't have to discipline. He celebrates and he's excited. Let's be the people who love him and keep his commandments. Let's be the people who are marked by that, known by that, and walk out that promise. So here's my questions that I asked myself while I was working on this. Is 
Why did God care enough to even bother connecting with me? Sometimes we feel guilty, and so we try to be inclusive of, of other sins. And I always say, I will be inclusive of all people, because I will love all people, because that's what's been modeled for me. But that doesn't mean I excuse their sin, or their behavior, or their choices. And I'm here to tell you something that may be shocking, but I believe all people are born sinful. Yes, even your precious little grandchild, who's so perfect in every way, was born sinful. Exactly. Gasp from Mike over there. All people are born sinful, but we choose how we're going to walk out that sin and how we're going to live out our lives. What other gods have I allowed to establish a place in my life? That's something only you can ask, but what is it that takes up the time and place of what rightly should be God's? What fills your time that you don't have time to worship him? And it's not always bad things. Sometimes people think it's bad things. It's not bad things. It's those things that fill our time so that we no longer focus on what really matters, which is our relationship with God. And then, how do I overcome this in a society that recognizes busyness as productivity? Because that's the world we live in. If we're not busy, then you must not be doing very much with your life. I fall into that trap. I find things to make me busier than I need to. How do I reconcile the idea of a jealous God with one who's given me free will? If, if I have free will... Why does he get jealous when I choose to sin? He should know I'm going to. He should just let it go. These are tough questions, at least for me. Maybe you got, probably got this figured out. I'm just telling you the questions that come to my mind. And what does God's mercy look like in our world? But more importantly, how do I live out that mercy towards others? How do I love people who I know are sinning? How do I love people who don't agree with me? How do I love people who are different than me? because that's what I've been called to do. I told you the Ten Commandments keeps coming back over and over and over again of God's deep and abiding love for you. And because he loves you, he wants you to learn to love others. It's a book of ethics. It's a book of how we worship. The first two are how we worship with no other gods before me. No fake gods that I put in place of the real one. And learning that sins of the past don't bind me today when I choose to break them to love God and to follow his commandments. Let's be a people who break those sins that have held us back in our own life. We see them and we know them. Let's break them and move forward from them. It doesn't have to be a big ceremony. I'm not going to ask you to come and write something on a piece of paper and burn it. Maybe I will sometime, but they'll probably be upset that I have a fire in here. But let's just look and be honest with ourselves. Let's not just repeat it because it'd be easier than changing. Just following the current thing is the easiest way. That's why the older a river gets, the straighter it gets. You might have thought it got more crooked. Nope, it gets more straight because it wears away and it wears it down and it wears it down. And eventually, that big bend eventually just becomes a nice, straight, flat place. Let's wear away those things 
And just keep chipping away at that sin and keep chipping away at that sin and keep chipping away at that sin and watch how much more direct our path between us and God can become. Father God, I thank you for this congregation and I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for what you've told us. God, may it become real to us. May we never just look at it as something that was written thousands of years ago as a nice little story. But Father God, it was written to give us life and to give us hope, to give us direction, to teach us how to live. May we reflect you in all we do. God, for those generational sins that are in us, may we break them. Those things that bind us and hold us back, that we don't have to pass those on to our children and our grandchildren, but they can be broken when we choose to follow you and love you. And God, may we be a a people who celebrate the mercy you've shown in us by loving others and celebrating them. In your name, amen. I told you I'd give you an opportunity if anybody wanted to be baptized. I'm going to read the same scripture I read Friday night as Scott plays. and Basically, it's in Acts chapter 8. So, so he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. This is Philip, by the way, that uh, this story's about. Great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. People have asked me, why don't you meet with people that want to get baptized or why don't you do classes on membership? First off, I hate jumping through a bunch of hoops and hurdles. And maybe it's my generation, maybe it's just my rebelliousness, maybe I'll grow into it someday. But what I know is, 10 minutes earlier, whatever, approximate amount of time, he's sitting there reading, and the next thing you know, they're going down the road, and he goes, there's some water, why shouldn't I be baptized? Philip says, if you believe it, let's do it. And a mud puddle or whatever, a pond, a pool by the side of the road, is where they get out and baptize them. If you want to be baptized today and this is you, come on forward. If nobody responds, I'm fine with it. We had 11 people get baptized the other night. I was stunned. I really was. I just don't want you to miss the opportunity to say to those around you, this is my public declaration of who I am in Christ. So if you want to be baptized, if you've never been baptized or it's been years and and you're just saying, you know what? This is what I need to do. Come on forward. I don't have a change of clothes for you, but I got a towel. And I'll even let you take it home so you can put it on your car seat. Is there anybody today that wants to be baptized?
just tell us your name and just tell us your name and why you want to be baptized today. Uh, my name is Kim Brown, and I love Jesus. Turn around, Kim, so they can see you. Here, I'll, I'll come down here. Um, like I've had a dream of being baptized again with my husband and when we renew our vows, but you know, you listen to the Lord when it happens, so I felt it, and I put it in his hands, and he's feeling it too, so here we go. All right, tell us your name. Nicholas. This is Nicholas and Kim. I, I've only known Nicholas and Kim about three weeks, maybe, four, four weeks at most. Um, kick your keys off in your wallet. James, come on up so you can help people out. All right. Make sure everything's out of my pockets. a little cooler than Friday night. Come on in, guys, one at a time. Kim has an ear thing, so she won't be going all the way under, but we'll go back and we'll keep her from going under. You got it? Okay. We'll get pictures and just connect with Kim. All right. Go ahead and kind of put your hands up. Yep. And then plug your nose with one hand. In the name of the Father. Son and the Holy Ghost, I baptize you. All right, go ahead and put your hands across your chest there and grab, plug your nose. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Water's here. Anybody else feel like they should be baptized today? Now's your chance. No pressure. But once I jump out, I don't. Once I jump out, I don't want to jump back in. All right. This is battery operated, so I don't think I'll get too bad of a shock. Um, one other thing today, before I let you guys go. Um, you know, I like to celebrate when people in our church do incredible things. And uh, Chloe, come on up here. I won't make you go. Oh, did she already walk out? All right. Oh, here she is. Come on up here, Chloe. All right. I'm not even going to make you get in the water or say anything. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Um, Chloe has written a book, which if you don't know how impressive that is, I read recently 86% of Americans, one of their goals or dreams is to write a book. I had no idea it was that high and 1.2% actually write a book of Americans. 86% want to, 1.2%. She's in the 1.2, put it there. So she has a book and, and her book has been published. It's, I would call it a young adult novel. I've only gotten through, I think I'm through chapter six now. Um, still getting character development. Hold it up really high. It's right here. She's gonna be in the lobby afterwards signing. Um, some of you know Chloe. Some of you have watched her over the last two plus years. 
in our church knowing, not knowing that most of that time she's been writing this book about you. No, not really about you. <laughs> but I, if you want to buy her book today, I would encourage you to do it because I celebrate what people do and accomplish in their life. And she's only going to be here for two more weeks until they move. And so if you want to get it autographed, you can get it on Amazon. It's available. Just type in her name. And But I would encourage you, go out, buy her book today. Celebrate her and support her in what she's doing. Thanks, Chloe. Go on out to your table so they're, you're ready. All right. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.